Creatures of the internet, we are live. I'm Dave Rubin and we've got another Friday Roundtable extravaganza for you. As always, we are live streaming on Blaze TV, on Rumble and on YouTube, although with them, you never know. Uh, joining me this week is a lawyer and host of Viva Barnes Law on Locals.com, Viva Frey, the host of The News and Why It Matters, right here on Blaze TV, Sarah Gonzalez, and writer for Noble Truths with Rav Aurora, Rav Aurora. Viva, Sarah, Rav, welcome to the Rubin Report. Thanks for good having us. Hey, it's good to be here. I like the rhythm of those names, very easy and soft and good. Uh, obviously guys, this was a completely wacky week. Uh, you know, I try to do my show as, as light as possible and not make people crazy about politics and everything else, but we gotta do some heavy lifting up top and then hopefully we can get to some more fun stuff uh, towards the end of the show. So look, the big thing of course was the Uvalde shooting in the city in Texas, uh, 19 kids I think and two teachers were killed. Um, I tried when I covered it uh, the first day not to do anything about politics because it, one of the things that I mentioned to you guys right before we started was just watching everything become immediately political about restricting gun rights or defending gun rights or attacking Republicans or attacking Democrats. It was like, we didn't even take one second to, to talk about these lives, these kids, the parents that sent their kids to school that day and will never see them again. Uh, and I felt like we had to kind of sit with that a little bit. But for what we all do for a living, this is about politics. Uh, and I wanna start with a little bit of what's going on in the media related to all that. Real quick, before I let you guys chime in, I wanna talk about Healthy Cell. Uh, have you guys ever wondered if those vitamins you're taking every day are actually working for you? Well, more than 240 million Americans take supplements daily in pill form but they usually don't get the promised results because they don't absorb the nutrients properly. What if I told you there's a new type of dietary supplement, one that'll absorb into your body far better? I wanna tell you about Healthy Cell. It's a new ingestible gel that not only tastes great, but has 165% more absorption than pills. It uses a new technology called microgel to deliver maximum absorption. Uh, those old fashioned tablets, capsules, and powders con contain synthetic other ingredients Ever wonder what they are? It's things like binding glues, fillers, and coatings that can irritate the lining of your stomach. Healthy Cell's microgel, on the other hand, suspends soluble, ultra-absorbable nutrient particles inside a gel made out of gut-healthy ingredients like soluble fiber, citrus, pectin, acacia gum, and water. It doesn't contain artificial sweeteners, flavorings, or colorings. It's even non-GMO, gluten-free, and vegetarian. Uh, visit HealthyCell.com, that's C-E-L-L.com, and use code RUBIN for 20% off your first order. Okay, so let's just dive right into the political part of Uvalde. Uh, I thought sort of the most shocking thing of the week was Beto O'Rourke's uh, attack on uh, Greg Abbott and some of the other officials uh, in the town and in the state of Texas. Let's take a look. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sit down. You're out of you're out of line and an embarrassment. Sit down. I don't like this Please leave this auditorium. 
I can't believe you're a sick son of a bitch that would come to a deal like this to make a political issue. Okay, so you've got the mayor of Uvalde there. You've got the police chief there. Obviously, Senator Ted Cruz was there. The governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, was there. And Beto O'Rourke, who is a charlatan, in my opinion, and everything that's wrong with politics, making this about him. He had no right to burst into that press conference, et cetera. Uh, Sarah, I want to start with you because that is, Texas is your state. And if there's one state hurting more than any other right now, it is Texas. Um, but actually, why don't we start first? Uh, you're, you're the mother of two young children. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we do the human part before we dive into the political part? Yeah, um, look, it, my, I wept uh, the day that it happened, um, going through the pictures of all of the children that were deceased, thinking about you know how similar they look to my oldest son, who is about to be 10. I mean, these are real life human issues. And although statistically speaking, our kids are still one, one of the most safe places for our children are in schools. It just doesn't feel that way anymore. And so it was, um, it was hard, uh, to watch all of this happen, to watch this community grieving and hurting and still not have answers, uh, for exactly how things happen the way that they did. Um, and to see Beto O'Rourke himself dancing practically on on the graves of these murdered children was just really hard uh, to watch as a as a mother, as a Texan, uh, as someone who is active in the gun rights community, all of these things. Right. And, um, you know, it was just a. Uh, it's difficult to watch it be politicized because at the end of the day, the more information that we see coming out about this particular incident really just solidifies the need for citizens to be able to protect themselves and their families. Because when you leave it in the hands of law enforcement and government officials to be to rely on them to protect you, it's not going to work. And it's sad to see this be politicized when really this is proving the case for us to be able to defend ourselves and defend our families. And I think if the left had any integrity, they would look at themselves in the mirror and they would look at the the, the issues that they are contributing to, uh, the breakdown of the family unit, the glorification of mental illness, uh, the, the degradation of young men in our society, the lack of morals, the godlessness in this country. They would look at themselves in the mirror and say, what the hell have we done to this country and how can we contribute to bring bringing it back to where we need it without taking away people's rights to defend themselves. So you actually hit a, a whole bunch of stuff that I talked about this week in terms of family and the spiritual part and the mental health part, which I wanna cover with all of you guys. Uh, Viva, because right before we started, you have a couple kids running around in that house right now that you were trying to get to be quiet so you could do this, uh, just as, as a father watching this. As a human, it's incomprehensible tragedy. And, and what is, what's not, it's, it's stomach turning. You, you don't want to close your eyes and even think about what people are going through. And then you go to Twitter and you just see people shamelessly exploiting it. I say like Barack Obama put out a tweet. They, have the, they haven't even buried their children yet. And these, and these politicians are weaponizing it, exploiting it in callous and shamelessly political tweets. And before the facts are out, we know the we know the weapon. Uh, but the more details that come out now, the more you start to say, the, you know, firearms might be the weapon being used, but there might be a, a whole slew of other problems that might be more directly related to how this escalated into what it possibly escalated into. And I'm just sitting here watching it from Canada, where we have 
some of the strictest gun laws in Canada, in the world. We have a lot of street violence, gun crime on the streets. You take these outlier examples and then you try to uh, mm -hmm. weaponize them politically to make your political points with total callousness to the human suffering that's going on behind it. Um, but the more details that come out about the police, the delay, the things I've heard now, there may be one issue with firearms that needs to be addressed, but there might be some serious underlying issues as to how this could conceivably happen in a school. I, I, I've been saying for a while, you have armed security guards at, at when you do money drop off at banks, you have armed security guards for venues. It, it seems that if you want an immediate solution without, without finger pointing it and do, security at schools, period, and, and meaningful security. But uh, people just jump on this for their political purposes. Beto O'Rourke, I'm sure he believed in what he was doing, but at some point you have to take a step back and say, now's not the time, let people mourn in peace. Yeah, you're actually giving Beto a little more credit than I'm giving him. I'm not sure he knows what he believes or, or ugh, I mean, I, I just think he, I he, wants, he wants attention more than anything else. Uh, Rav, you're, uh, you are wise beyond your years, but you are the youngest on the panel. You graduated high school, I think in 2019, so you're not that far out of being oh. in being in a, he's a young kid, he's a young kid, but you're not that, that far, that you're not that far out of being in school. And a lot of this obviously is about school safety. Now you happen to also be up in Canada right now, but uh, in terms of just being, being a younger person related to all of this, what's your take? Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for highlighting the year I graduated, Dave. That definitely is not, not something I highlight, but we're just going to talk about it. So, all right. Cool. I graduated in 94, if that makes you feel any better. Yeah. Or all right, Grandpa. Oh. Okay. Grandpa, step aside now. Let me talk. Okay. Um, listen, um, the, the big thing that I was thinking about here was the impact that school closures and virtual learning has had on young people. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I, I go to college. I do uh, independent studies um, on the side of my journalism work. Um, and so I've, I've seen how virtual learning can be so like socially damaging and difficult to academically um, pursue the things that I want to pursue. Um, but also just, just broadly that human connection that we all need. And I saw with my sister who was in virtual learning, my, my brother for several months um, at a time during COVID. And this individual was already suffering from um, a, uh, an unstable family. Um, his father was an alcoholic. Um, he had issues with his mother. At home was not a good place, clearly for him. And once you put him in virtual learning away from school for, for several months, who knows how much that might have tipped him over and further spiraled him down mm -hmm. this path of, of fear, depression, anxiety, loneliness, isolation. Um, for a lot of people, especially in inner city communities, school is important because at home there's, there's drugs, there's violence, there's abuse. And so that connection is important. So for this individual and for many other individuals, and, and we've seen homicide rates skyrocket, by the way, and I've read, uh, written about this in the New York Post, the, the effects of closing down schools and going into virtual learning and instituting like vaccine mandates for like sports leagues and stuff like that, we're all like doing so much harm to mm -hmm. our youth and to our young people and these effects we're just beginning to see, and I'm really fearful for what's what's in the store because we've really damaged a whole generation of young people, and there's no accounting for that. 
Yeah, all right, so you hit on a couple things that I wanna bring back to, because it's sort of what Sarah was referencing earlier, that this is about much more than the guns or the murders themselves, because there's a, a cascade of issues here. So let's just put Beto's intentions aside for a second. Sarah, before you mentioned family, you mentioned mental health, you mentioned what's happening to young men and a, and a spiritual crisis. I think what Rav's referencing there related to young people and schooling is all of that. I mean, it seems to me we had almost no discussion about that. Why, I, I barely tweeted this week because I was just like, watching everybody do what Beto did on Twitter, everyone immediately, you, you don't spend, or you spend an iota of a second on the deaths. We, we, you know, I made a point of showing all the pictures of those kids because I want people to actually be affected by it. Uh, but we have much bigger issues here that to me can't really be solved by politics. Yeah, uh, of course. And I mean, I would also add into the equation the the just the devaluing of human life itself. I mean, we have an entire party, at, at least their leaders, who are trying to convince this generation that it is their basic human right to be able to kill their baby uh, up until the point that it comes out of the magical birth canal. So at what point do you stop and say, why would these people care about human life itself when we are telling them that you can throw it away if it becomes inconvenient to you? I mean, they are drilling this into children's heads. They are drilling this into the next generation. Should we be surprised that there is uh, this this regard for human life? I, I don't think that we, I don't think that we can be shocked or surprised that that this is happening. And I'll tell you this too, Dave. I mean, you know, you hear stories of my parents, my grandparents they traveled to school with rifles in the back of their pickup truck. There weren't school shootings to the, the degree that there are now. But again, I don't think that the lawmakers want to look at those particular uh, facts because then that would shed light on the fact that this isn't a gun problem. This is a mental health problem. This is a spiritual problem. This is really, I really truly believe, Dave, we are at the place where this is a battle of good and evil. That is where we're at. And it's really difficult to see uh, which side is going to uh, is gonna win on that right now. So Viva, as I said on the show this week, and as many people obviously point out, you could have all the weapons of war. If I had every weapon known to man in front of me, I wouldn't walk into a school or a church or a synagogue or anywhere else and kill people. So that shows you that it's not about the weapon, it's about the person who uses the weapon, their mental state, spiritual state, et cetera. What, is, is the issue really that because politics can't deal with that and we do everything through a political lens that that's why this conversation is so screwy? I, I, I think so. T Tim Pool, I don't know if it's his analogy, had a good one, which is, you know, you can run someone over with your car at any minute of the day. You don't walk around the street fearing everyone driving a vehicle. Mm -hmm. The issue is these types of incidents are so traumatizing, they're so horrific that, you know, I say even though they amount for a fraction of the total gun violence in the States, or, or, or anywhere for that matter, they're so traumatizing. It's like the, you know, an airplane crashing versus a car accident. One is statistically exponentially more significant than the other, but one traumatizes a nation more than the other. The issue here is that these are such politicized issues already. People don't, they don't want a solution, they want their solution. And I, I've been saying here, like, just practically speaking, I'm, I'm from Canada, we have the strictest gun laws, you know, among out there in the States, whether you like it or not, you have 380 some odd million firearms already out there, mm -hmm. 70 some odd million rifles, I believe. Even if you snapped your fingers today and said, no more sales, we're going to raise the age, you still, have a pro you still have a problem if you think the firearms are the problem. Uh, the reality is you have soft target problems 
You have a, a phenomenon now where the media comes out, spends a week glorifying these monsters so that other people who want to make their name now, you know, they have their charts and they want to get to the top of the chart literally. And the media does it. They know it. And it exacerbates the problem. As far as I'm concerned, you just security at the schools. If it were so costly for schools to let these things happen, they would find a solution tomorrow. The bottom line is it's been so politicized. They don't want the good solution. They just want their solution. Yeah, well said. And by the way, I'm glad none of you have mentioned the shooter's name. I went out of my way not to say it this week. I don't want to give him any of the attention. Uh, we played a clip of Jordan Peterson on my show a couple of years ago talking about the sort of desire for fame, the desire for attention that drives so much of this. Rav, before I throw back to you, I want to show this clip just to talk about how the media just cannot deal with anything honestly. Here is The View. And I always warn my audience before I mm. play a clip of The View, just sit back, don't fall out of your seat. Here we go, if you need to take a drink, this is the time to do it. This is The View's Sonny Hostin defending Beto while also confusing some things about laws in Texas. They seemed angrier at Beto O'Rourke yes. than they were at the massacre of 19 children and two fourth grade teachers. Yeah. They were yelling at him. I'd like to see some of that energy around gun safety. Yeah. I was so shocked that they were so angry yeah. at what he was saying, and he was saying the right things. It was totally predictable. I mean, Governor Abbott was the person that changed the age of owning a, a, a gun from 21 to 18. Okay, so first off, I wanna clarify something. What she said there was a complete lie, complete fabrication and lie from CBS News. I've got it right in front of me. Abbott said Wednesday after the Uvalde shooting that, quote, the ability of an 18-year-old to buy a gun, to buy a long gun has been in place in the state of Texas for more than 60 years. So she's not only defending the ridiculous uh, outburst by Beto, but then also just lying. Uh, Rav, this just happens every day on these shows and people then are just confused about what the issues are, who the good guys are and everything else. Yeah, it's it's really amazing how in in almost every issue you see this again and again with with the BLM stuff, which was kind of how I started um, in my journalistic career, writing about many of these big shootings like Jacob Blake um, and uh, Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta uh, and many other cases. It's like this happens again and again where you have a high profile case and usually the the issue for the left becomes uh, the racial element. So if it's a white a police officer shooting a black mm -hmm. um, suspect, you see immediately the like, facts are just totally thrown out uh, in, in favor of this preconditioned narrative. Here we're seeing it again with uh, these details. I mean, it's like the, the view is completely unwatchable to me. It's like every time I see a clip, like for my own mental health, I just, I, I can't watch it because it's so infuriating constantly to see them spew this misinformation over and over again. It's like, like, like this is the reason why people are listening to this right now, Dave, mm -hmm. and people are listening to, to Joe Rogan and wondering why he's so popular. This is why CNN Plus is, is, is in the graves, RIP. Um, it's, it's like because the mainstream media is just so bad at covering the facts. They're so disingenuous that uh, independent media is, is rising. So I, I, think, I think in many ways that is um, a good thing is that they're just openly um, spewing this misinformation so that in, in individual people who know how to think can actually detect that and listen to better media and hopefully are watching this show right now. 
Well, to your point on what they cover and what they don't cover, 46 people were shot in Chicago this weekend, six of them fatally. Now, of course, the, the reason the media doesn't cover it is because the color of the skin of the shooters and the color of the skin of the victims doesn't fit the narrative, so they don't cover that. And as a matter of fact, I don't know if you guys saw it, but in that very press conference, Greg Abbott addressed that. He said, well, you know, uh, because of course they're going after him about gun laws in Texas. He said, well, you do know that in New York and Chicago and in California, they have much stricter gun laws and people are being shot all the time. I wish it wasn't the case. And then of course, New York Times wrote an article that he's race baiting by even saying mm. that. Uh, so I wanna get to some of the reaction of the left because surprise, surprise, they want some more laws around this. But real quick, let me talk to you guys about real estate agents I trust. You know, buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do. And it can be 10 times worse if you're not working with the right agent. Generally speaking, our homes are our biggest investment. I know it is for me. And that's a lot of responsibility. So you need an agent who takes that seriously. That's why I recommend real estate agents I trust. We work with only the best agents in every market and do our homework, talking to every agent before inviting them to join our network. And here's a big one. We only work with full-time professionals, no part-time or inexperienced agents. Our team makes an intro and then follows you through the buying or selling process to make sure that you're satisfied. The agents we work with have a long track record and are the best sellers in their field. They're part of this audience. The company was started by my buddy Glenn Beck himself. They share your values and they're almost anywhere you wanna go, including Florida and Viva is a new Floridian. The process is simple. Just go to realestateagentsitrust.com today and provide them with some basic info. Our team will contact you to make an intro to our preferred agent in your town. And now back to me. Okay, so the, the main reaction to this, especially from the left, is if we just had more laws that somehow that would stop this stuff. Now we have laws about murder, we have laws about shooting people, we have laws about breaking into people's homes and attacking people and all sorts of things, but they seem to think just more laws would stop this. Um, here is Adam Kinzinger, who believe it or not is a Republican, but he, he basically is a Democrat, um, and he's talking about raising the age of the purchase of a firearm. We just raised the age of purchasing cigarettes, for God's sakes, to 21. The age of buying alcohol is 21. I think the age to buy a gun should be 21. And people can come to me with all the caveats about, well, they can serve in the military. I'll say the same thing about drinking beer, by the way, between the age of 18 and 21. Okay, I wanted to play this clip because every now and again, someone who I don't agree with on anything says something somewhat sane. And the idea that you can't vote, but you can go to the military. We have these odd inconsistencies, 18 to do this, 21 to do this, get a gun at 18, but can't buy a beer. I mean, some of this makes absolutely no sense. Uh, Rav, let me start with you on this. I mean, the, the odd inconsistencies, uh, I know you're Canadian, but from an American, or give me from a Canadian perspective too, I'm not even fully sure on all of your age stuff there. Yeah, yeah, the, the restrictions are, are much uh, different here. For, for drinking, it's, um, I feel like I should know this, but usually, usually you don't follow these rules when you're in high school. I'll have my guys check. What's the age, what's the age limit on drinking in Canada? We'll get that for you in a sec. Go ahead. Um, but no, I, I wanted to actually just touch on one point quickly. You said Dave earlier about like gun violence, cause this has been the centerpiece of my reporting. It's like you have all these laws in, in blue cities, especially, but we've seen homicide rates rise exponentially. Like in Minneapolis, they've risen like 30%. Uh, in, in LA, St. Louis, New York City, uh, in Philadelphia, I reported last year. Uh, in 2020, there were more homicide deaths than in homicide deaths combined for 2014 and 2015. There were more homicide deaths last year in Philadelphia than two years combined, 2014 and 15. 
And a lot of that was due to the riots and defunding the police mm -hmm. and all these things that we should be talking about. We should be talking about uh, having a robust law enforcement response. Um, I think it was uh, Ben Shapiro who retweeted this morning um, that there was this new detail um, that we I think we just found out that there was no armed response to the shooter for 12 full minutes after he crashed his car. Okay, that's a conversation we should be having about why that didn't happen. We should be looking at realistic solutions and actually examining what happened here and looking at the broader trend of rising homicidal violence in inner city um, communities um, rather than just um, having these one-sided, uh, narrow-minded political conversations that I think the whole mainstream media has plunged into. Yeah, and I also think we have to acknowledge without excusing anyone who did anything wrong, if any of the officers there did not go in when they should have and everything else, that there is no such thing as a perfect system. We don't know exactly when people knew everything. We always want the easy answer, like, oh, this should have happened at exactly this moment. And again, that's not to excuse anyone if anyone acted negligently, but there just aren't always perfect answers. Rav, just to let you know, uh, in Canada, the drinking age is by province. So where you are in British Columbia, it's 19 but it is 18 in Quebec and Alberta. Just FYI, if you're looking to get a drink a little later. Um, okay. Sarah, I, referencing I, I, what I'm you- I'm 21, I'm 21, so oh. that's good. But, <laughs> but I don't think I was following that in high school. So anyway, we don't, we, we should talk about that. Noted, noted, we won't report you. Um, Sarah, the, this idea of the 18 to 21, so Kinzinger, who I'm sure you're no great fan of either, uh, this idea that you can get a gun at 18, but you can't drink to, 20, to 21, is something worth talking about, these inconsistencies there. Uh, but you earlier mentioned what's happening with young men. And there obviously is something happening with young men right now um, for many, many cultural reasons. Do you think there's any legitimacy to perhaps raising that age from 18 to 21? Well- On the gun side. I would say when, yeah, yeah. I, I would say that it, uh, it becomes a slippery slope issue for me that um, I know what the left wants uh, at the end of the day. I know mm -hmm. what their end game is. And I think that the Second Amendment is very clear, even though it can be uncomfortable at times. I would also argue that they really don't believe these uh, these ideas that people are too young, that, that they're still children, that they don't need to have some sort of uh, you know, a weapon, because at the end of the day, these are the same people who are weaponizing our children, uh, who are uh, telling them that at three they can change their gender. So at three, you're supposed to have the the knowledge and the foresight and the wisdom to know what gender and sexuality you are. But somehow at 18, you're not old enough to know how to use a gun properly. So it's just it's just the inconsistencies coming from the other side that I get very uncomfortable buying into the conversation. Uh, again, at the end of the day, it has to be a, a family issue, right? It's it's these young men who this this young man was failed at every level, his family life, his mm -hmm. friends, uh, all of these people saw these signs and no one did anything. And I think at the end of the day, y your families have to be involved. And I know that that's not always going to work perfectly. As you said, there's no perfect system on either side. But we can't be chipping away at a fundamental right of this country because it's gonna be a slippery slope down to the bottom. And we know what uh, I would call Adam Kinzinger, basically the left, but we know what these people in power want. And that is ultimately control. They want to be the only ones with the firearms. And so it just, it's, I agree with you that like, if we were, if we were talking with 
another party who I believed to be coming from a, a morally sound place, I might be willing to have the conversation, but not with people who think that you can change your gender at two or three years old. So speaking of our God-given rights and the slippery slope, uh, the night of the shooting, Joe Biden gave what I think was one of the worst speeches in American history. It it was the most divisive, uh, in many ways, dishonest speech possible. There was nothing really about healing. This was the guy who came in and said he was gonna heal the nation. Uh, We got a little clip for you. I spent my career as chairman of the Judiciary Committee and as vice president working for common sense gun reforms, as I said, as a senator and a vice president. While they clearly will not prevent every tragedy, we know certain ones will have significant impact and have no negative impact on the Second Amendment. Second Amendment is not absolute. When it was passed, you couldn't own a You couldn't own a cannon. You couldn't own certain kinds of weapons. It's just always been limitations. Okay, so first off, I wanna clarify something that I slightly butchered yesterday when we showed this clip. Yes, you could own a cannon uh, when the the Second (laughs) Amendment came out. You could own a cannon, so that's just number one. So he lied about that the the same way that Sonny Hostin lied. So I have no problem if I make a mistake correcting that. So there you go for the record, I've corrected that. Viva, the rest of the speech was was deeply divisive, but I want to address one thing you said there because they keep saying this over and over, common sense. If we just had common sense gun laws, um, do you think it's possible that we don't all agree on what common sense gun laws are and they're just using a phrase to confuse us? Well, I mean, it's, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything whatsoever, but I, I, I wrote down a note because Sarah brought up a good point. You know, the, the, the same people arguing for raising the limit of gun ownership also want to lower the age limit to vote. So they mm-hmm. want to let 16-year-olds vote on firearms issues where they're not allowed owning firearms by their own logic. Great point. The alcohol limit, you set things, at some point things do become somewhat arbitrary. But what's not arbitrary in the United States is the Second Amendment shall not be infringed. And then the question is, what does that even mean? I, you know, I'm from Canada. I, I took the firearm safety course in Canada. I'm from a country where, and by the way, just to correct you, Dave, I'm not a full Floridian yet, but yeah. I'm certainly- <laughs> As look, far as I'm concerned, you are. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I, I took the firearm safety course. It, it was a two day course so that I could get a permit so that I could own a long arm. To own a small arm in Canada, you need a special permit. It's, it's, and, and I'm in a country where they virtually criminalized gun ownership, even when it's lawfully done. I'm mm-hmm. in a country where they have effectively criminalized self-defense. You can't own a firearm for self-defense. You can't own a taser. You can't own a stun gun. You can't carry around anything for self-defense. And you're left to the mercy of the criminals and the response time of the police. And in Canada, some of the toughest gun laws anywhere spike in gun violence because it's not committed by law-abiding citizens with lawfully procured firearms. Common sense? I don't know. I, I could support everybody needing to follow a course before owning a firearm because it is like driving a car. You're, you, you are owning something which can cause serious destruction for your own safety. To go from there to being registered, the government knowing what you have in your house, where you live, criminalizing you for political purposes or just you know other purposes, I, I've seen that risk as well. So I don't know where you go to find the, the common sense middle ground, but when common sense is not being used in a uh, intellectually honest way, 
it makes it difficult to have open and honest dialogue on an issue. Right, that's why it's so dangerous what he said there. He says common sense, which as you said, it doesn't mean anything because we don't even agree on what that is. But then his next sentence is to say it won't infringe on the second amendment. And then he lies about the way the second amendment started and the type of weapons you could own. Um, let's back up for a second because there's also this other uh, piece of this. I wanna show you this tweet from the Washington Examiner. Uh, because now they are looking into some of the inconsistencies in what happened there. Can we pull this up from Washington Examiner? Uh, the White House refused to call for an investigation into the police response to the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, saying President Joe Biden has the utmost respect for the men and women of law enforcement. So we referenced this earlier. There seems to be a certain amount of time that the police did not go in and that they perhaps were ignoring orders or there was some confusion there. I think we're all agreed, okay, there's no perfect system. The fact that the White House isn't looking into it, this is the same party that wants to defund the police. I mean, they usually hate the police. In this case, now something horrific happened and they don't wanna know what happened. What's going on here, Rev? Yeah, I just, I just have to say, like, utmost respect for law enforcement. Like, I mean, wh where did that come from? Yeah, I mean, what? I mean, when the Jacob Blake shooting happened, which turned out to be a total uh, misconstrued, exaggerated story, wherein he later admitted that he was at fault for trying to grab uh, the officer's gun, after which he the officer rightfully shot. Uh, you know, in that case, right away when that happened, Kamala Harris went over to see him. Uh, Joe Biden made this, uh, had this horrible speech about how racist the U.S. is and how we need to fundamentally reform law enforcement for this horrible shooting. Same thing he did with Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta, another um, police shooting which turned out to be uh, legally justified. Again, there he said um, something like uh, 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 black Americans wake up every day fearing for the police, not knowing when their life could be taken because of the police, like stuff like this. This is what we're used to. So to suddenly see this backpedal and shift is really astonishing to me. And I, I don't know what um, values and what, what kind of um, underlying framework Biden has for dealing with these things because it seems to be shifting and it seems to matter which, which is most politically expedient rather than which is the most honest and factual and compassionate uh, take on these things. It almost read to me like they want everybody to feel like a conspiracy theorist these days, right? Like these people who question police motives and everything that you just laid out there, Rav, it's like at the same time, this is the one thing that they're not gonna look into. This thing that's all on our mind right now that seems to be tearing the country in half, uh, we're just not gonna question their motives or what happened there. It's just, it's very bizarre. Uh, all right, so I do wanna end the week on, on some good news because obviously this story is not going anywhere, but something really good did happen this week. Uh, it started happening last week, but it is official as of this week, which is that the Ministry of Truth, that uh, is a, was an insane assault on our First Amendment and shouldn't have even been proposed in the first place, it has completely fallen apart. We've got some info from the New York Post. The Biden administration has, quote, paused its controversial plans to create a disinformation board causing its would-be leader to resign. In a statement Wednesday, Nina Jankowitz, the disinformation expert, tapped to yeah. head the panel, said that with the board's work paused and its future uncertain, I have decided to leave the DHS to return to my work in the public sphere. Jankowitz's departure and the decision to scrap the board was first reported by the Washington Post. The board has been the subject of weeks of backlash from Republicans, libertarians, and even some liberals, my God, they're not all insane, who liken the scheme to the Ministry of Truth from George Orwell's classical 
uh, classic novel, 1984. Uh, guys, well, maybe I'm gonna start with you first because even if you're not a Floridian yet, you're about to be an American. And uh, we have this First Amendment thing here. It's defended by that Second Amendment thing. The fact that this was even discussed from the people who lie about everything, whether it's the politicians or the media that lie about everything, um, does that show you we're already down that path in some ways? Like we got to, we, we're turning a little bit perhaps, but we've already gone down a very dark path here. Dave, I mean, it's, she's the, dis Jankowitz is the disinformation expert, but not in the way that she was using the term. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. She was the expert of, of providing disinformation. Uh, it was a, it was a stupid idea because it, this is it. They get so, um, what's the word, brazen that they start saying the quiet parts out loud. We knew that this was going on. Robert Barnes and I on our local channel, we've been talking about this for a long time. There, there's a back channel. They accidentally mentioned a back channel between the government and social media. Now they just wanted to front channel the back channel because they got so confident in their, in their brazenness. They say, we're just gonna, we're gonna say it publicly. When there are pending lawsuits, you know, accusing the government of turning social media platforms into effectively state agents. Mm -hmm. And so now they realize, holy crap, we might've just formalized what you know would be a very big problem if indeed these social media companies, these, these big tech platforms are in fact effectively acting as agents of the state because we're coercing them to do whatever. So they realize, I guess a little too late that they have to backtrack, put it on pause. Um, it was an atrocious idea. They were just getting a little bit too confident in getting away with it. They made it public, what we uh, suspect has been going on for a while, and they got lambasted for it, and rightfully so. And also, just not to spread any rumors, I'm also not on the verge of American citizenship. Yeah, but we'll see, we'll see what happens in the future. <laughs> I'm just leading you, man. I see, I see the future, trust me. You get a little sunshine here, you hang out with some iguanas, it's all it's, happening. The uh, iguanas are beautiful. They are beautiful. Uh, Rab, to Viva's point about the back channels that we knew about, I mean, I'm sure you saw the video from a couple months ago when Jen Psaki admitted that the administration flags misinformation from Facebook. I mean, they were already infringing on our First Amendment rights. They were already having some coordination with companies to limit our ability to speak. Uh, you're a journalist. We don't really have any journalists left anymore. I mean, that I don't have to go like this, you know, do the air quotes. Um, why didn't more journalists, you'd think that journalists might care about the First Amendment. Why didn't more journalists say, uh, maybe we should look into that, that the government telling uh, corporations what can be said on their platforms is a bit of a problem? Yeah, yeah, well, because in their mind, uh, misinformation, disinformation, dangerous speech, all of these things, they have sort of an objective criteria for, and, and their objective criteria is anybody that deviates from the mainstream liberal orthodoxy, that is considered misinformation when we're talking about vaccines or police shootings, whatever it is. Like this thing happens over and over again um, that we see these same patterns of censorship. I mean, with the New York Post story on, on the Hunter Biden laptop that was blocked from sharing yep. on Twitter. I mean, that is egregious. Like if you just read that, you would think that that is a story from like Iran or some like dictatorship or Venezuela or something. But that was in the United States. That That is deeply disturbing. Um, and also, I don't know if you want me to push it a little bit to what, what's happening in Canada as well. Like, I, I'm, I'm, sure. I'm happy that this, I'm happy this board is being dismantling on your side because Nina Jankowitz is deliberately, um, or, or I should say, very um, disturbing in nature what what she was uh, proposing and her all her weird TikTok videos and whatnot. But here here in Canada, uh, Trudeau is pushing uh, Bill C thirty six, the the online uh, harms bill that's designed to protect ethnic minorities, sexual minorities, LGBTQ, 
Um, and and in, in that bill, um, what is proposed is that you could possibly preemptively um, report to law enforcement if um, one individual thinks that somebody else is going to say something hateful or post something offensive. You can preemptively tattletale on them and law enforcement could uh, then surveil them for this. And and interestingly enough, like this is so authoritarian, it's so sweeping and um, egregious that even Twitter has pushed back on the Trudeau government and has said that this could be used to silence political opposition. Um, something very strange for Twitter to say, obviously. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and even even various ethnic minority groups here in, in Canada, like the Canadian National Muslims Association has, has, has uh, pushed back against this bill and said this could actually harm the very groups that Trudeau is trying to pander to with this bill that's supposedly designed to protect the feelings of racial and ethnic minorities because apparently we can't we can't take uh, pushback online. But it, it's it's all just more and more power uh, in the way of Trudeau that that this whole COVID pandemic has just fueled up his his behinds. He's got more and more power and he's trying to to uh, bo uh, boost that even more with uh, this online social media censorship. Well, you know what, folks? We are a professional organization around here, so don't take Rav's word for all of that. Here's Justin Trudeau himself. There is no question that the world is changing rapidly and getting more dangerous uh, in new ways than ever before. When we look at the prevalence of misinformation, of disinformation, the way social media has been weaponized. Justin Trudeau. I, I, I can't. My friend, I, in that moment, we usually mute everybody. We didn't, so I'll let you go first before I let Sarah I, jump in. You just can't deal with this guy anymore. It's it's audible torture. It's intellectual <laughs> torture. It's outright lies. This guy is now saying he's going to go after misinformation. He has been responsible for putting out some of the most egregious misinformation out of his own mouth. Some of the most divisive, hateful comments ever. He gets on his podium when he's running for office, talking about the unvaccinated, putting at risk their kids and putting at risk our kids. Those people are putting us all at risk. He, he is what he warns us about. And now he wants laws to basically protect him and persecute whomever he disagrees with and whomever he calls misinformation. It's, it's, it's outrageous. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I, I'm a reasonably polite person and didn't say what I was thinking <laughs> in any sense. It's nauseating to listen to. But Viva, he, he wears nice socks. Isn't that important yeah, to you? He, he, he just, it's, it's incessant. And it's Bill C-36, it's Bill C-11. They want to regulate the internet. They basically want to, they want to criminalize any speech that they don't like. And that happens to be independent media who call Trudeau for what he is, dishonest, divisive, and ultimately wickedly unconstitutional. Sarah, to that point, uh, you know, this was making me think back to Bill C-16, which of course, you know, six or seven years ago, that's the thing that put uh, my good friend Jordan Peterson on the map. That was the bill in Canada that was being floated that if you misgendered someone, potentially accidentally, if a woman was walking down the street and dropped her hat and you accidentally said, sir, if you couldn't see their face or whatever it might be, that you could be fined or potentially even imprisoned. That literally is what put Jordan Peterson, a mild-mannered psychology professor at the University of Toronto on the map. And you can sort of see a through line through all of these things. He kept saying at, the, at that, it's not going to stop here. It's not going to stop here. And now here we are uh, dealing with another bill uh, with another letter and another couple numbers about misinformation. It, and I guess this goes to your slippery slope point that you were talking about earlier. 
Yeah, well, I, I have a bone to pick with you too, Dave, because you said that you were ending on good news, and I don't think that it's good news that Nina Jankowitz is now going to be free to post more TikTok videos during the day. That are completely <laughs> the singing is horrible. You're right. You're right. <laughs> that is not good news. Um, no, I, I think that really to to kind of tie it all together, it, it does go to our original point because. All, all that misinformation is to all of these government agencies, whether it be Fidel Jr., whether it be Joe Biden, whether it be whatever country we're talking about here, all that misinformation is, it's very similar to what, what Viva was talking about with common sense gun reform. It doesn't mean anything. The word is meaningless. It only means this isn't the narrative that we choose to spin. Therefore, we want to tamper down on it because at the end of the day, the government wants control over everything. They want control over your weapons and who has them and who doesn't. They want control over your speech. They want control over the narrative. They want to make sure that they maintain that control. And the way to do this is by chipping away at our Second Amendment rights, at our First Amendment rights, at everything that they have so that they can maintain that control. I'm going to have to figure out a way to end this on a good note without you guys, because this <laughs> is where we have to say goodbye as Sarah scared the hell out of everyone. Uh, but Sarah, Viva, Rav, thank you guys. I'll definitely have you back and have a nice weekend. And I'll, I'll take it from there. Thank you All very right. much. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dave. All right, everybody. Uh, look, this was, this was a tough week. There's just no other way around it. Um, as I said, I really had to limit what's going on on social media, even for me personally, because as much as I have to be in this thing to communicate some of this stuff to you, um, it brought out the worst in almost everybody. And, and maybe, at mo maybe at moments, myself included, I'm not so sure. Um, but I think, as I would always try to say on the show, if we just kind of keep our heads on straight, if we don't just react, you know, I think what, what they're trying to do in some ways by talking about common sense and if we just had more laws, it's just always trying to get us to react to something. So if something bad happened, we must react. And people who are not very good at solutions and usually screw everything up, if we just gave them the power on this one, if we just allowed them to give us the solution on this one, that everything would be better. But I just don't think things are that easy. So I would say more than anything else, uh, if, you're, if you're feeling a little emotionally banged up this week or anything else, how about you take the weekend off this thing? I am going to. I'm actually getting a massage in about two hours. Uh, I've got someone coming over to the house who's gonna massage me. I'm doing a uh, deep tissue, guys, 90 minutes. So you're gonna have to leave because I can't be massaged while my employees are here. Can't do that. Um, but do something, that take some walks, go to the park, walk your dog, play with your kids, all of that stuff. You don't need me to tell it to you, you get it already. But how about you stay off this thing for the weekend? You can play around on Locals if you want because we do other fun stuff there involving food and music and joy and happiness and everything else. But just detox from some of it and I think you'll find things a little bit better. And I will say one last thing, which is that if you dig what I do and you're in the Florida area, in case you forgot, there's a couple seats left. June 2nd, I am gonna be with the governor who's doing it right. And that's why things are so good here. That's why Viva Fry is moving here from Canada. Do we have the image of me and we don't have it today. All right, that's all right. Uh, that Ron DeSantis guy and me are gonna be at the Plaza Live in Orlando on June 2nd at uh, VIP is sold out, but there are a couple seats left and you can go to daverubin.com slash events. Happy Friday, everybody. Uh, enjoy the weekend. We'll do it again on Monday. Thank you and adios. 
Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.